What's up, Gator Country? Your man, Andrew Spivey here with Seth. Seth, we're back, and uh, it's supposed to be the off-season, man, but uh, things are fast and furious once again. Gators have a new coach. Uh, they have uh, uh, new guys on campus as early enrollees. Uh, they have a new transfer in town. Uh, they're still looking for one coach, and, uh, you know, Dan Mullen is, uh, you know, starting to, to get things back in order uh, a little bit as you know there was a lot of you know questions about would he interview with the Jets would he interview with the NFL all that stuff it looks like that stuff's dying down which is a good thing for Dan Mullen and the program yeah modern, modern college football never seems to stop doesn't matter when it is you're either uh, recruiting or hiring new people or game planning for the next season so it's it's kind of a 12-month job and then when you're covering it it becomes a 12-month job too yeah, uh, and you know, I mean, obviously college football has gotten to the point where it's 365 days a year and everything else, uh, but, you know, it, it's going to a different level, you know, now with the transfer portal and that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, it seems like every day there's a big big name player from a different program entering the portal, and, um, you know, that continued, and uh, Florida was the beneficiary of that. They get six-year senior uh, Antonio Shelton, a defensive tackle from Penn State, who, uh, we're taping this on Sunday, is already on campus and enrolled uh, at Florida for next year, and, uh, you know, I think that was a big one. Um, is he a, you know, all-SEC, all-American type of player? No, not at all, but is he a guy that's going to come in, provide leadership for this uh, young defense? It's a line. See a guy that's going to provide depth and, you know, uh, make an impact in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I think it is. And, uh, you know, I think that's the first of a few uh, transfers you'll get. And hopefully the rule passes, you know, where he'll be able to play next year, uh, which I think he should be able to anyways, a grad transfer. But uh, I think it's a big in a lot of ways for Florida to get a veteran defensive tackle. Yeah, they definitely need bodies on the interior of the defensive line. So it's good to get a guy that's experienced that kind of understands what's going to be asked of him. Uh, it's, he was a fifth-year senior, so he's uh, – I think he was 13 All-Big Ten. So he, he's a guy that's made some plays in his career too. He's not just a guy that's kind of sat the bench the whole time. He's played, um, played 40 games at Penn State. So I, that's definitely – you want to get somebody with experience there um, that can help kind of anchor that inside of the defensive line for you. Um. I guess, you know, we talk about this a little bit, but we can hit it on it again, and that is, is is getting another defense now probably still the biggest need? I, I think, yeah, I think either on either side of the ball, either side of the ball uh, on the lines, is that's where I think there would be the, you'd want to be looking into the transfer portal. Um, I think they're pretty, they can kind of supplement in other places, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be looking for another defensive tackle another interior defensive lineman for sure because you lost your two this year and we saw kind of what the depth looked like um, when one of those guys was out. So I, I think showing up the depth there will help you. It, it'll even help you. They love to rotate guys in. They probably couldn't do that as much this year and keep the uh, level of play as high. So yeah, just adding more depth there will help you in a bunch of different ways. I think the biggest thing is not to have to slide Zach Carter inside. You know, and we talked about that a time. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Zach Carter can play that. But it's a, it's a situation where he's not strongest there. He is a really, really good strong side, de or weak side defensive end. Uh, the, 
you know, the ability for him to play inside is there. But that's not where he's at his strongest. You know, I go back to Jonathan Bullard. Jonathan Bullard could play inside, you know, a defensive tackle, but he was best at defense ends where he's playing at in the league right now. Um, so I think having that interior guys that can play without moving Zach Carter inside allows your entire defensive line to get better. We see it when Kyrie Campbell came back. When Kyrie Campbell came back, Zach was able to stay outside and play defensive end. Boom, it makes him a lot better player. Uh, and I think that that's a, a key is making sure you have enough depth to where Zach Carter can play outside and not forced to play inside. Yeah, that's just another added benefit, right? You need those depth bodies, but that also means that, just like you said, you don't have to pull somebody else to get depth. And Zach Carter coming back is, I, I was pretty surprised. I thought he made himself some money this year. So to see him come back, I think, is a really good sign. Um and he's a guy that could have another big year, especially if he doesn't have to play out of position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think that that allows, you know, it allows the ability to rotate a lot more. You know, you're obviously going to bring back Brent Cox, Zach Carter, Princely, uh, Chris Bogle, who had a fantastic Cotton Bowl. Uh, you still have Andrew Chatfield. So you have a lot of guys that can be rotated in and out. And I think that that's big because you didn't get to see that a lot this year uh, because simply the depth wasn't there at the positions uh, and I think that that's something next year that you you know you're wanting to see and you know I think now it kind of sets up and, and there's nothing wrong with playing Zach Carter inside on third down when you want simply yeah. a pass rush but you know on first down you don't want Zach Carter who is undersized for defensive tackle playing inside um, especially when you can get a guy like an Antonio Shelton who's a big body to just clog up the middle yeah, that's, that's, you know, 100%. You know, they, they've kind of built the program in the past, the, you know, their first few years in here about they were going to heavily rotate guys, so we were they were fresh in the fourth quarter. Um, you saw that kind of, you know, you think back to the Texas A&M game. You know, when did Texas A&M really start to just assert themselves? Second half, second half of the third quarter, the fourth quarter. They, they didn't have that normal rotation they've had in the past where guys stay fresh. And everybody's starting to do that. So I think that just having that ability, you, you obviously have the guys on the edge that can do it. And now when you add more bodies inside, you don't have to take any of those edge guys to come inside. And now they can be fresh and ready to roll in the fourth quarter. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, that goes for several different positions. You know, that goes for the secondary. You know, we talked about it a lot. You know, uh, having, you know, a, a rotation of safety was a key for Ford in the last few years. Didn't happen this year because there just wasn't the bodies at a lot of times. I mean, you know, for three games, you didn't have Davis and Steiner back there. Uh, you know, Rashad Torrance was out at times this year. Um, so you didn't have that at all. And uh, that leads me to my next point, and that is the Gators have uh, gotten uh, Wesley McGriff uh, from Auburn, which uh, wasn't retained or wasn't going to be retained. But uh, still, I, you know, it's a veteran coach. And as someone who, who met with him for the first time this week, uh, once he got to Gainesville, said to me, and they said he's going to bring an energy to the backfield, the defensive backfield, that is, uh, that wasn't there the last few years. And he's going to bring a sense of accountability to this uh, team. He's going to bring a veteran voice to this team. And, you know, I think he'll help, you know, not only the – the, the players, but I think he can help Todd Grantham. I mean, as a coach, you know, we're always taught to always uh, be able to adjust and, and learn and, you know, uh, evolve as a coach, and I think that'll help Grantham a little bit as well. And, you know, whether McGriff coaches safeties, 
you know, corners, what he does is kind of still up in the air right now, depending on who they hire. I think it's a good veteran voice who's been around the game a lot and has seen a lot. Yeah, it's a guy, like you said, he's been around a long time, so he's probably coached in quite a few different systems. He's also been a coordinator in the past. And what I think is interesting is all these guys that you're hearing and all the guys that you've been reporting or maybe in talks on the on the boards, um, they all have some type of defensive coordinator experience, which I think is interesting because that when typically when you game plan, the staff comes together. Now, it's, it's probably different now with all the analysts. They can give you some stuff, but the staff comes together and kind of goes through stuff, uh, the places I've been. And it, it's you kind of work together and, and formulate the game plan. It's not just the coordinator coming in and saying, this is what we're doing, you know, teach it. Um, so adding more guys that have coordinator experience to the staff um, is kind of, could be a way to kind of help, maybe help Grantham make some changes. And I think that he's given a little bit of leeway there. And then if he doesn't make the changes and there's still problems, then these guys I'd imagine are going to be on, not on one year contract. So Grantham's got one year left. So, you know, you know, he's gotten a chance to make changes, and, and these guys will bring that experience to the table, and that'll help with some collaborative, collaborative game planning. And um, But I, I thought that was kind of interesting that everyone you kind of see names being bandied about for these positions has some type of coordinator experience in the past. Yeah, um, and, and that's a good point, and, and you know, and I think that I think you're seeing that in a lot of places in general, um, where you're having a lot of guys who have either been co DCs or DCs and different things like that. And I think it's because, and, and and you can help me here if I'm wrong. I think it's because of the evolution of offenses in a way, and that is a lot of offenses are multi-dimensional. You know, for instance, you look at Alabama; they're a power. I formation football team, but they're also a spread them out five wide passing slash quarterback option team. You look at Florida. I mean, Florida at times this year was a you know pound it, you know go uh, go at it, you know with Emory Jones kind of guy where he could run. Then at times they were just spread them out with Kyle Trask and they were you know completely passing. Uh, you know, and, and it was different by the quarterback. But still, what I'm saying is. Every offense around the country right now is multi, you know, dependable. Yeah, the the big trend in offense is, like you said, multiplicity and uh, multiply, multiple personnel grouping. So you'll have teams like the two teams you're going to see uh, Monday night in the national championship game. They'll come out with two tight ends. And so the traditional two tight ends set, you, you want to play one way. But they, these tight ends can all move, and then they got receivers that can just fly on the outside. And then they'll come out a few plays later, and they might go four receivers in a one back. And then they might come out a few plays later, one tight end, three receivers in a back, or sometimes two back. So they're all just changing up their personnel grouping. So you have there's a lot you have to account for now. So having multiple guys that have been around and had to call plays and put game plans together, um, I think just only is only going to help improve uh, kind of how the defense attacks these new offenses and how they're put together. Let me let me focus on this with you here, and that is when you look at this coaching staff now. Let's they have nine coaches. McGriff is the secondary coach, you know, safeties, corners, whatever it may be. What do you look at as the position you would like to add the most? And I say that because. You know, some programs allow their secondary coach to coach the entire secondary. 
Some secondary coaches want to, I mean, some head coaches want their secondary to be split up between corner and safety. Now that's five guys, basically. You know, you've got two corners, a nickel, two safeties on the field pretty much at all times. So that's half your de- more than half your defense, basically. Um, do you, you know, do you agree that there needs to be a split secondary, or do you think that at times having a split secondary hurts teams? I, this is the way I look at it, and that is, I think that we have to look at it now as like I just said. At times you have five to six, you know, DBs on the field. I don't think it's a bad thing to have a secondary, two secondary coach, and especially because of the fact that Todd Grantham is a linebacker slash front seven coach. I think that's what helps make this needing a secondary coach, or a, a second secondary coach. Yeah, the way the way the game is played, a lot of people play it now. Is a lot of teams are playing versions of quarters, which is kind of what saving saving's big thing, and it's kind of just kind of trickled throughout. I think if you're playing a version of quarters, which Florida does play some of that, where the safeties have to make reads, kind of sometimes you know sometimes they're reading number two, so they got they can come in and fill for run and add like extra bodies to the box. I, I think if you're playing like that, you it's it, it behooves you to have a say a safeties coach specifically and then a corners coach um i think if that's how you're going to play if you're going to play more stuff where you're playing like uh you know some teams are going to like the the seahawks cover three type stuff where they're just exclusively in three high then i don't think you need it as much but when you're playing a lot of two high looks i think you need a a safeties coach especially like you said in florida's position where you have grantham coaching outside linebackers kind of slash rush ends and so, you, so you don't. I don't think you necessarily need an extra body at defensive line. Since it's not, you don't have to. It's not too different, too dissimilar to kind of to coaching those guys. You don't since he's got the Russians. So, I, I think with Florida specifically, I'd be looking for a safeties coach just because it's totally the way those guys have to play is different in in this scheme. Um, but yeah, scheme dependent, it could switch. But for Florida, I think take that second DBs coach. Well, and I, and I think you just, you know, had a good point there, and that is, you know, with with Grantham coaching, you know, that rush in slash defensive end slash outside linebacker, do you really want to split David Turner's responsibility even more? I mean, what's David Turner thinking of coach? Just the, you know, the one defensive end? <laughs> yeah, or, or just the inside <laughs> nose? I mean, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> excuse me here. I mean, it's it's different if, say, Grantham was a – inside linebacker slash safeties coach, for instance, you know, or or whatever it may be. For instance, like Derek Mason. Derek Mason's more of a D.C. secondary coach. Then it's okay. Yeah. Uh, or, yeah. you know, if you're Alabama and you got Nick Saban coaching the secondary, it's okay. But, you know, with Grantham being that, like, it would just baffle me a little bit to have, you know, David Turner coaching one guy or two guys and another guy coaching one guy. It would just be crazy. And, you know, so I think that – you have to look at, you know, having another secondary coach just because you want to maximize your resources with, you know, your uh, your coaching staff. And, you know, some people have said, well, split up the offensive line so Hevesy has somebody helping him recruiting. That's a great point. It needs to happen. Yeah, that that is, that is one way you could go. But um, Mullen being an offensive coach, he wants that sixth guy on the – defensive side of the ball he'd rather have six and four because then it's basically six and five with him there yeah. and that's how it goes with most head coaches they want an extra guy on the side of the ball they're not you know prestige at or you know they're not the most well knowledge at. but yeah yeah 
Yeah, that's he basically, yeah, like you said, he just considers himself an offensive coach. So it, it kind of evens out there. Um, just looking at some other stats, you do have teams like Georgia only has, it looks, they appear they only have one defensive backs coach, but they also have Kirby. Right. So he was a defensive backs guy. So, um, but they'd be a team that you'd think would want different coaches for each. But, um, you know, I, th- I think just the way Florida's position right now, you, you'd think it's going to be another defensive backs coach. Just because, like you said, I don't think they're going to add anybody on offense. It wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing because that's the other position. I think defensive backs and then now offensive line are the two ones where you'd really want to split it up, I think, is most um, because you'll get the most out of splitting those positions up. And Florida's done that in the past when Mullins uh, was the offensive coordinator, I believe it was split. So Yeah, with Adazio and Hevesy. Yeah, so... You know, those are the two positions you'd want to split. So, but the way Florida's constructed, it seems like it's going to be defensive back split up. Yeah, and you know, Georgia's different because they have you know um, Scott Cochran, who is just a special teams coach. Yeah. And I, I'm a, I'm gonna say this. It's twofold question. I mean, it's twofold statement that I'm gonna make here, and I'm kind of talking out both sides of my mouth a little bit. Is it good to have just special teams coach? Yes. If he is a great special teams coach. Scott Cocker, for instance, is not a great special teams coach. He is there for a head. He is there to get him away from Alabama. He was there to help with the stream staff and to help recruiting, which I don't know if that's good or bad or what. Now, if you can go out and hire a great special teams coach, sure. Because special teams wins and loses a lot of football games. Um, yeah. But they better be a great recruiter as well. Yeah, you, you don't want your special teams coach just... It's it's very important, but you don't want uh, you don't want that guy not being a plus recruiter. Right. It's a little bit like uh, a little bit like a lot in a lot, in a lot of places. Now some places are different, but in a lot of places, the tight ends position and the running backs position, those guys you want those guys to be plus recruiters because those positions aren't the seemingly the toughest. And in a lot of places, they don't use their tight ends very much, so that guy's just there to be a recruiter. But um. Yeah, if you're going to be special teams only, you better be lights out recruiting. And I, I think there is something to having a guy like that, but um, you know, it's I don't I don't think that's something that uh, that Florida is well positioned for. That's for sure. Well, yeah, and like for instance, I'll, I'll you know South Carolina hired just a special teams coach, and it's crazy to me because that's what Beamer is known for. Yeah, being a special teams guy. So in a, in that sense, like I kind of think it's a waste. Um, because it's like, why do you need to hire, you know, a guy like, uh, a special teams guy to do what you're a specialty at? And and so that, that to me is crazy, but you know, again, there's no right, wrong, you know, perfect answer to, to how this 10th coach should be used. I think it's, you know, program driven, it's head coach driven, um, it's a little bit of, you know, coaching needed. You know, for instance, if, you know, uh, let's just say, you know, somebody has a great, you know, uh, linebackers coach, but he's a pitiful recruiter. Then you go out and hire a recruiter that can help. That's a really good recruiter that's also a decent, you know, linebacker coach. And, you know, so it's every program is driven. And I'm not saying that with McGriff. McGriff's very good in both assets. But uh, I'm just saying every program is different, and every program, you know, can, you know, get to use that 10th coach in there on a different way. Yeah, well, I was covering USF before, and their new head coach came in, and he hired a specific 
special teams coordinator, and that's all he does. And uh, the guy's, I think, a good recruiter too. But that, it 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 depends. It's just kind of how you want to set up your program. It is. It could be something important. But yeah, that tenth coach kind of gives you some flexibility. And I think the a, a good part of this hire is just like you mentioned, McGriff seems to be uh, well regarded in recruiting. He seems to have a good reputation there. So I think that's I think that was kind of the most important thing to add with these two guys is you need to add some plus recruiters. Yeah, absolutely. And you needed someone to come in that was going to inject some energy in the secondary. Uh, you know, I, like it or not, you know, secondary guys are the most, you know, over talkative. You know, uh, I don't want to say arrogant because arrogance is a bad word. Cocky, uh, you know that kind of stuff. And let's face it, this team didn't have that juice. You know, and uh, you know, is the juice bad at times? Sure, but you also want your DBs to play with some juice. And this DB, you know, group did play with some juice. Now that's nothing against Ron English and Torian Gray. They're both fine coaches, but both of those guys were quiet guys. I think McGriff will bring you know some of that you know energy to the to this room and uh, you know help them to get back to that swagger of DBU. I mean that's your DBU. Have that swagger about yourself. Yeah, and and like we mentioned before, he's, he's been doing it a long time, and a, di- a bunch of different styles. He's coached in the NFL, which I think. Um, is only going to help him kind of establish uh, that expertise with the players. So I think he's a guy that will probably command respect really quickly. And from everything we've heard from people, he's a guy that the players love and and seem to really get along with. So I I think this is a a really good hire for the position. And then uh, this next hire will be uh, interesting to kind of see where they go because there's a bunch of names floating out there. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and get into some of those names. So, obviously, Chris Ash from Texas, Charlie Strong, you know, used to be at Florida, who's now an analyst at, at Alabama. His name is out there a little bit. Uh, Corey Sanders from Pitt's out there. Uh, we've heard some NFL names are also being thrown in the mix. Uh, so, a lot of names, and I'm sure that we're probably not even talking about the guy going to be hired because that's the way college coaching searches go. But, um uh, <laughs> I, I think I feel good in saying that Ash and Strong probably won't happen. Uh, and I say Strong because he's a linebacker coach. Do you really need a third linebacker coach there? And, you know, I think in a way the game is kind of past him, uh, you know, along in a way. Uh, Chris Ash, it looks like he, you know, Sark may make a run in him if uh, Chris Arnett from Mississippi State doesn't take that job. Uh, you know, and there's a couple other places that are looking at him, but I think he has chances to go beat just the, the defensive coordinator alone in several places. And um, So, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at a guy that I, I want to look at more. Uh, you know, I want to see if you know anything about him, and that's Corey Sanders at Pitt. One of the better recruiters, a young recruiter, uh, you know, a lot of people credit him for most of much of the success Pitt has in recruiting, but he's also coached some really good players in the secondary as well, and he's a young, energetic guy as well. Yeah, and, and Pitt's kind of, Narduzzi's one of these um, quarters gurus, mm-hmm. so if, if Florida's going to be playing quarters, taking his safeties coach would be a, a, probably a good move. I don't know a ton about him, like just personally and, and talking with people, but I read a little bit about him. He's already been he's been a D two head coach, um, a D two coordinator, or I think a higher even higher level than that coordinator, mm-hmm. and he was born in nineteen eighty five. So this is a relatively young guy too. Right. So a pretty impressive resume for somebody that young, and and they've had some. If you look, they've had some really good defenses at Pitt since he's he's been there uh, in two thousand eighteen. I think was when he got there first. Yeah, he was previously at Western Michigan. I'm I'm assuming that was with Fleck. 
So when they are kind of got it rolling there, and then he was a he was a defensive coordinator at West Florida. So he's been in Florida. They recruit in Florida at Pitt. They'll come down and try to get guys, and he's gotten a few. So that kind of goes to your you saying that he's regarded as a pretty good recruiter. So I, I think he would be a I think he would be a good hire. A guy you probably wouldn't have thought of right when the you were thinking they were looking for safeties coach, but he's a guy that brings coordinator experience. He even brings a little head coaching experience, which is a little, which is kind of interesting. But um, yeah, I, I think he's an interesting guy. He's got an interesting resume, and he's a young dude too. So that that helps as well. Yeah, and listen, could he get the job? Sure. Could he not get the job? Sure. Like, we're not yeah. going on the air breaking news or anything else that's out there and everything else. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that, once again, he's a guy with some uh, defensive coordinator experience. Yeah. And, you know, and the biggest question is this, and, and I'll ask you this, and I don't want to get into the, the whole grandson thing. Again, I'm so sick and tired of talking about it. The guy's coming back. You just need to suck it up and love it. I mean, that's yeah. what it is. Uh, but – how much is Grantham willing to listen to these guys? How much is Mullen going to enforce that on these guys? I think is a big question because you don't want it to turn into a power struggle. You don't no. want it to turn into a fight where, you know, everybody has their own game plan. And then at the end of the day, you don't have a game plan. So I, that it, to me is a big question mark. I think that's one of the reasons Tavares Robinson ended up at Miami and not Florida. Um, and, you know, listen, I think it's better to find that out now than it is to find that out, you know, game one or game five. Yeah, alignment is key. That's a key word in coaching is you have to have organizational alignment. Right. So we have coaches that you can be a great coach. like You can be the best DB coach on earth. But if you're just going to question everything the defensive coordinator calls, your players pick up on that. Mm-hmm. And that's when you get that kind of you, – you get those that friction in the room, not just amongst the coaches, but you can get it amongst the players too. So you don't want that. Um, obviously, these guys, all the names we've heard, and then even Wesley McGriffey who's been hired, have that coordinator experience, but they are also currently assistants. So they understand kind of the pecking order. They understand how it's done. Um but they can add value, and I'm sure they're going to their voices will be heard. But they understand that hey, this is I'm I'm a I'm a position coach, and they've been that coordinator before, so they understand the importance of having guys that understand their job, do their job, add value in the process. But ultimately, it's your decision as a coordinator. So I, I think having those guys with the coordinator experience gives you not only kind of that level of these guys have had to call plays before, but they also understand the position that Grantham's in being the coordinator that you can't be questioning it. You got to got to whatever we decide as a group is what the decision is. And we all got to roll with it. United front totally aligned. So I, that that's kind of the other part of it. I think you just gotta, you gotta have guys that aren't going to come in and, and try to shake things up crazily. You got to have guys that understand their role and do it really well. And I think it seems like that's what you got in, in Wesley McGriff. Yeah. And you don't want, yes, man, there's a difference. You don't want, yes, yes man. But you want also guys who can sit at a table, have a discussion, and whatever discussion is ended in that discussion, it's ended, and you leave the room as a united front. Now, behind closed doors, you can argue and bicker about the game plan all you want, as long as you come to an agreement, and once you leave the room, that agreement is as one. You know, whether it's... Yeah, as far as the players know, we're all 100% together. Right. 
But yeah, in that room, you could be like, hey, I don't know about this. And and you voice your, that's what you, you don't want the yes men to say, oh, that's a great idea, Todd. Uh, but you want those guys to say, hey, why don't we do it like this? And, you know, and I'm sure there's, those guys, when they talk about it, if they go through the year and they're trying to do things and they get totally and none of their ideas get put forth and they'll, I'm sure they'll have end of year meetings and that'll be something that, Hey man, I, we tried to do this and, and we got turned down at every level. Right. Um, but yeah, once you leave the room, it's a hundred percent united. You cannot have any dissension once you talk to players. So, but there, that's, I think people don't really, that's a kind of a, a thing that people don't really understand maybe right. is, and you understand cause you've been in the coaching is there will be a lot of disagreement on how to attack things and a lot of, a lot of different ways to do it. But once it's decided how we're going to do it that week, that's the way it is. And that's a hundred percent. That's the way it is to the players and to anybody else we talk to. Well, and it so. may, you may go out to the practice field and see it against the scout team. And Todd Granson may look over at Wesley McGriff and say, man, maybe your idea was better than mine. Yeah. I've seen it happen a ton, and you know, I, a coach once told me he said if we're all agreeing in the coaching room, something's not right. Yeah, because you do you're you're going to disagree. Everybody has either done it before, ran it before, and they've all done it different ways. None of these guys have ever coached together. None of them, uh, not as a group. They've never coached together, so they all have different ideas. They've all learned from different you know, head coaches or different defensive coordinators or, you know, whoever it may be, they've all learned from different people. Uh, so everyone has their idea. I mean, it's like, you know, running a business. You can ask yeah. 50 people who run a restaurant how to run a restaurant. You're going to get 50 different answers. Yeah. And that's why I think that's why it's so interesting to me that they're bringing in guys with that coordinator experience because they obviously want guys to bring stuff to the table. If they just wanted Yes, men. They wouldn't be looking. Every single coach they wouldn't be go would be going after wouldn't have that coordinator experience. They want. It seems to me the signals they want a collaborative process on the defensive side of the ball. Guys that will bring ideas to the table and then understand the process of it. So that's what's the kind of the most interesting thing to me about going after guys with coordinator experience. I think that adds something to the game planning process. Let me ask you this, and that is, you know. I, I, I've, I've said this many a times, and I don't know if you agree with this. We haven't talked about this yet, but we will right now. Um, and that is, offenses have changed so much in just the last year, I would say. The last two years. Um, you know, everybody says, and, you know, I've, I've told this to people, and, you know, I laugh about it. But, you know, they, everyone says, you know, offenses, it's same offenses. They're just, you know lined up different for instance like for instance T, uh urban meyer he runs the wishbone it just looks yeah. different you know and so it's all recycled but anyway you know no all defenses right now are trying to adjust to this rpo game and everything else do you think that that is gonna start becoming a key is having more of these guys that are you know uh with the experience there, you know, just because no coach right now under truly understands how to start the stop the RPO. And if they tell you they do, they're crazy. I mean, watch the NFL. Josh Allen's running the RPO to death against the Colts. Yeah. You can't tell me the Colts ain't got a good coaching staff. They do. Just nobody knows how to stop it right now. Yeah. It's basically I think the way like you got to, here's how you got to contextualize the RPO in your mind. Think about all the great triple option offenses. Mm-hmm. 
and how you've always heard growing up, right? Well, if it's run perfectly, it can't be stopped, right? Right. You, have you, I don't know if you – that's what all the option yeah. guys say oh, yeah. at least, right? Yeah. Oh, if, if the quarterback makes the right read every time, it can't be stopped. Right. Well, now imagine the pitch guy, instead of being five yards behind the line of scrimmage, is like six or seven yards in front of the line of scrimmage. Right. So now your, your, your pitch guy is just a slant route or a post route or an out route. So it, it's, it's definitely changed. But having more guys – there are ways I think you can – combat it and having more minds that have seen it and guys that have had to call plays and try to scheme how to, how to stop it is only going to help. Um, you know, you, you got to do stuff like you have to basically understand what their reads are and then force the read you want. Uh, you can do that. So, but, but the problem is you have teams like Alabama and Ohio state doing it where, all right, you're going to force them to give it to Najee Harris behind that offensive line. That's not a great idea. Right, yeah. And then, or you're going to force them to pull it and throw a slant to the Heisman Trophy winner. Well, that's not a great idea yeah. either. <laughs> so that, so that, that, that's where it's really tough. Right. But you can combat it by forcing the read you want. Um, but having more guys that have had to kind of, think about this and really come up with plans to stop it is only going to help. Well, and here, here's the thing that it goes back to, and that is playing your fundamental. You're playing your technique. You're playing your assignment. 90% of the time, you're going to stop that play. Now, the, 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 the problem becomes this, and that is you've seen Najee Harris or Trey Sermon run for 175 in the fourth quarter. You see them fake a handoff to him. Yeah, all your eyes are going to flow that away because guess what? You're tired of seeing him run the ball. So, no. boom, that's when they pull it. Now, uh, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm saying that, you know, tongue-in-cheek because it's not that easy. But, you know, I'm just saying in general, I think that every college coach and NFL coach as well is trying to figure out how to stop these things. And I think that the more minds you get on something, definitely the better you are. Um, and so that, that's the kind of a reason that I'm, I'm getting to that point of, you know, getting more minds in the room just to figure it out. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Mullen has on offense in a way. You know, you look at, you know, Brian Johnson, he brings something different to the table. Uh, you know, John Hevesy is, a, is more of an offensive line coach, you know, uh, or is an offensive line coach, more of a, you know, run guy. Then you got a guy like Billy Gonzalez, who's your receiver coach, and of course he wants to throw the ball. So it's it's everywhere, but I think it's becoming more prominent on the defensive side of the ball as we see offenses really catch up and and bypass the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, you got it. You got to play totally different than you did, and you you got to understand that it's you can what what it's really now. It used to be like, all right, how are we going to take this away? Right. And now it's really become, all right, what do we want to, what are we good giving up? Like, what are we all right giving up? Because we're going to have to give up something because you're not shutting anybody out. It's real. that's really hard to do now. So it's basically become a game of what do we want to give up? When do we want to give it up? And how do we slow them down? (laughs) Yeah. And then how can we, how can we, you know, create some negative plays or create some turnovers to, to get a couple stops? It's the game has totally changed. And I think some of that's with, how it's officiated and things like that. Right. But yeah, it's defense is a lot harder now. Well, listen, defense doesn't uh, make for great uh, TV ratings. So that's a thing, whether we want to admit yeah. it or not, it is what it is. Uh, but uh, let's go to some, uh, some guys who got on campus already. So um, you had uh, most of the early enrollees. The only guy we're still waiting on is Desmond Watson, and he should be on campus on Monday. Uh, doesn't now look like Marcus Burke will get on campus early 
and that one hurts. Uh, that one hurts a little bit because I was expecting him to get some run at receiver next year. Uh, that one hurts, and then the big one was not getting DeWan Black on campus early. Uh, he had a class that's not going to transfer, so now he has to take a, a four-week class to make that happen, so he can't participate in spring ball or anything else. That one, to me, Seth hurts the most because that was a guy that I thought, you know, with his experience, with his you know maturity level, was going to play a lot for Florida at a position at linebacker that simply doesn't have a lot of depth and experience depth. Yeah, he seemed to be a guy that you really wanted to get him to get a spring under his belt and then give him a chance to roll into the season ready to go. Not having that will hurt, but he, um, I'm sure he's a guy that I'm sure has, has been so committed to the program, I'm sure he'll uh, – He'll kind of get. He'll be ready to go when his when his number's called. Who who's somebody that you think is going to have um, on the other end? Who's somebody you think this ha- coming in early and having a spring will really help get on the field? Uh Jason uh, Jason Marshall, Corey Collier. Um, you know, I think. And and I'm not. I don't think that neither one of those guys start. I think it's so tough to start in the SEC as a true freshman, especially in the secondary, uh, just because of what we talked about the the offense, but. Honestly, outside of Kyer Elam, are you fully in, on board that Jaden Hill is your is an SEC starting corner? I think most people would say no. Yeah, I mean, there, you can never have too much competition in the back end, and you and rotate those guys in. So yeah, those uh, it's tough. But you saw a guy like Kyer Elam come right. in his history freshman year and kind of get sprinkled in as the year went, and then towards the end of the year he was playing a ton. So you may see something similar to that. Yeah, and so and then Corey Collier at safety, you know, uh, I think and, and believe that um, Trey Dean and Rashad Torrance are, are going to be good enough to go. I, I'm very high on Trey Dean. I've said that many a times. Uh, but will that will that be the case? I don't know. I mean, maybe you know Corey Collier gets in there and um, you know takes one takes their job. I, I don't know. Like you said, competition's good. Um, but a guy too, and this is a position that's deep. And so I may get some heat for saying this, but. Demarcus Bowman's a guy that I, I think is is going to be the beneficiary the most of this, simply because I don't think Florida has a four down back on the roster right now. Naquan Wright's the closest thing they got to it, and for whatever reason, the staff hasn't trust Naquan to play a ton. Um, so I, again, you know, is Damian Pierce your starting running back next year? Probably, but I think that uh, Bowman will come in and push for a lot of playing time, and is probably your number two guy heading into the fall. Where would Bowman be if he had uh, signed out of high school? I mean, would he be established the guy already? You know, like if you looked at it like that, where do you think he'd be already? Yeah, I mean, I think he'd been. I think he'd be the guy. I mean, uh, it's simply because Damian Pierce has his, you know, goods and bads. Malik Davis has his goods and bads. Like I said, Naquan, for whatever reason, is not getting a ton of run. Lingard's still hurt. You know, he still doesn't fully trust his knee. And now I see he wants to change positions and everything else. So who knows what that situation's about. But, yeah, I think he'd have been the guy already. I mean, like I said, I just – since uh, P. Ryan left, I, I don't think that, you know, Florida has a true four-down running back on the roster. And I think that's what Bowman is. And Bowman's just a different dude. I mean, he's just an electric guy who is a different back that this offense is going to need. And, you know, next year with the Emory, you're going to run the ball a lot more. So you're going to need more than one back to tote the rock. And I think, you know, Bowman comes in as is that number two guy. Yeah, and if, if they use those backs kind of like 
Uh, I've used it as a quarterback, especially Emory or Richardson, kind of whoever it is. Those guys have shown they can run kind of inside the tackles, and and Emory's kind of slippery and, and does a good job reading his blocks. Richardson seems like a guy that's just uh, will be just an animal running the ball with how big and fast he is. He just looks Those, in contact. Yeah. The, you, then you get a guy like Bowman as like your guy that's your perimeter runner. He's on the edge, and the quarterback's kind of holding the guys in the box, and now he's out in open space then that becomes really dangerous. And then if that's how they're going to play, who's the guy you want in that position? Probably him, right? So I, I don't think that I don't think your statement's too controversial uh, if that's how they're going to play. Yeah, and I mean, again, Moan's done a good job of adjusting to, to whatever, you know, style of offense he needs to run, you know, to whatever kind of players he is. But let's just, let's just say what it is. Florida was not a very good up-the-middle running team this year. They just weren't. No. Uh, they had their most success when they were able to run to the perimeter. Um, a lot of that was with Emory Jones. Um, so, you know, when Naquan was in the game, he did that a little bit. So what would it have been with Bowman? And, you know, do I think the offensive line will be better next year? It has to be. It, it just simply has to be. Uh, but if it's not improved a ton, like you said, you get Bowman on the edge, Watch out, because he's got the speed to house one that I don't think any back on this team right now had. Yeah, he seems to be the breakaway threat that, um, I, yeah, like you said, I don't think the guys maybe maybe Wright has got a little bit of that, but he seems to have that speed Bowman does that's kind of that long speed too, where he, he's not going to get caught from behind either. Right, and that's what you want. So, um, yeah, that's uh, so that's kind of it, Seth. Any uh. Anything else you wanted to talk about? We hit on a lot of stuff, it, but again, it's uh, you know, it's it's that time of the year where a lot's going on. Yeah, I, my only other thing was: is there anybody out in the portal that's kind of uh, that's possible or that Florida's on or anything anything like that? Yeah, I mean, nothing really yet. Uh, you know, Wanye Morris from Tennessee, the their left tackle, is reportedly going to go in the transfer portal. Uh, early on, it looks like it's Oklahoma for him. Uh, Eric Gilbert, the tight end that you know transferred from LSU, uh, is transferring as well. And Florida has made up a ton of ground there, but it still does kind of look like Georgia has the inside track on him because he's from Georgia, um, and that's the guy that Kirby's been you know tampering whatever you want to call it with for for a long time uh but you know ford has been able to sell the pitch roll and you know if you're tight in you have to at least listen i mean is there another kyle pitts out there no kyle pitts is kyle pitts but you have to at least listen if you're tight in so i think that that one's a lot closer than uh, even myself was given ford a credit for um i just think there's a little bit of you know time but offensive tackle has seemed to be a spot that we all thought was going to be a lot of movement, and there just hasn't been that much movement in the portal yet. Yeah, the portal, it's its just going to be its crazy competitive. I've heard some people say that, um, you know, te- teams are in the future, in the next couple of years, maybe signing, try to sign more guys out of the portal and, and then supplementing it with high school classes instead of spending a ton of resources at high school because – they'll get guys they know can play right away that they've seen them play at this level. They don't have to project as much. So the portal is only going to get crazier and crazier. Um, but it is interesting to see Florida in on some of these guys. Yeah. And I mean, you know, people are like, Oh, well, I wonder if these guys are going to have much interest. These guys know where they're going pretty much before they hit the portal. Yeah. You don't, it, what's crazy. Like, uh, the staff gets some flack for recruiting, but recruiting has also changed. You're, you're basically, you know, 
Shelton that just signed was a class of 2016 guy. Yeah. So you're recruiting from class of 2016 till I think they're probably recruiting guys to class of 2023 already. You know, so it's like instead of focusing on on two or three classes, you're having us focus on like six or seven. So it's crazy now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, I give them slack or flack for recruiting a lot, and I do think it needs to improve. But, you know, they have made up for it in the portal. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. But uh, it'll uh, it'll be interesting just to kind of see, you know, how this portal works. I don't particularly like it. I'm just being honest with you. I don't particularly like the whole transfer just because you're not playing or whatever it may be. I think that's what the NFL is, free agency. But, you know, what do I know? I I think it'll be something that we'll have to relook. But the NCAA has to recognize and understand that, you know, everybody's tampering. They, they yeah. just need to just get over it. Yeah. Players talk, and then some coaches keep talking to players. So Right. And it's only illegal if the coach contacts the player. Not yeah. that the daddy or the mama or the trainer or the high school coach or whatever contacts them about it. So there's every which way that you can get around this. But, Seth, man, I appreciate it, buddy. We'll be back next week, hopefully talking about a new uh, secondary hire and everything else that kind of goes around this uh, program that always keeps us entertained. And, of course, uh, we didn't hit on it yet, but the uh, Fire Mike White chants are getting no. wild. <laughs> Yeah. I, uh, my, my, uh, my cousin coaches basketball at IMG. Okay. Um, and he said, white, he says he white's the only guy that's down. Like he said, he's a great guy. He says he's the only guy, only college head coach he's met so far that hasn't had an ego. I was like, well, maybe that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, especially in college basketball at the AAU. Jeez. Yeah. Mike White's a great guy. Great yes. guy. I, you know, I, I don't. I don't know. I, this year and what the man's went through with Keontae, I, I can't judge the guy. I'm just being honest. I, I can't. I don't know how the guy still – I don't know how the guy has the team. I mean, the team just has to be deflated. That's all I know. Yeah, what a what a tough year. A, a year that was kind of make or break for him coming into it, and then to have that happen with Keontae, it's uh, a really, really tough year. So ho- hopefully get it turned around because he is a good guy, and I think everyone would like to see him succeed. But uh, – they're having some trouble right now. Tough business for sure. All right, Seth, man, we will be back next week. And as always, uh, check out Seth's stuff on the site and uh, check out uh, everything we got going on. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.